Thank you so very much. To God be the glory. Only Jesus. Amen. Hope you have your Bibles today. If you have your Bibles, lift them up real high and make the devil mad. Amen. Praise God. I hope you have your copy. If you do, would you find your place in Acts chapter number 2? Acts chapter number 2. If you're our guest today, again, we welcome you. We've been going through this wonderful, wonderful book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we've been talking about living with biblical clarity. We do not want any born-again child of God to be biblically illiterate. We think we all should be literate in the Scriptures. And in being literate in the Scriptures, it's taking what the Scriptures says and submitting ourselves up under it. And watch this now. Letting the Word of God change us and we not changing the Word of God. That's vitally important. Well, we've got a lot of people in our world today, they'd want to change this, Robert. And they want to say, well, this, this means this to me and this means that to me and this, that, and the other. The bottom line is the Bible means what the Bible says. And what we have to do is submit ourselves to it and let the Word of God change us on the inside instead of us trying to change it. Uh, I'm wearied today, wearied over the fact that we're still fighting over the infallibility of Scripture. I'm telling you what, this is infallible. It was right when it was written, and it's right still today. And let God's Word be true and everybody else a liar. And today, what we're wanting to do is have biblical clarity and then live our lives through that biblical clarity. Today's topic today is faithfulness among believers. Faithfulness among believers. We do not want to be ignorant as a church when it comes to the areas of our lives that we need to be faithful in as born-again children of God. Amen? I mean, that's why some of these were baptized today. They're just getting right with God and wanting to be faithful to God and just do exactly what the Scripture says. So it's with great joy. I, I celebrate, James and Katie, your baptism today. I mean, I am so grateful for what you've done in following the Lord's ordinances. Now, let me just say this. It's in the Scriptures today. What you did today is found in the Scriptures as an area of faithfulness that we all must participate in who call Jesus Christ our Lord. Is Jesus your Lord today? You can say amen right there. Now, when it comes to faithfulness, probably one of my most favorite, favorite places to go on the planet is in Washington, D.C. Say, my stars, what in the world is out that way? Well, let me tell you. Arlington National Cemetery. It's an amazing place. How many of you have ever been to Arlington? Good, so you'll know just what I'm talking about. Have you ever been to the changing of the guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier? Just raise your hand there. Yeah, me too. That's one of my favorite places. Did you know that that tomb is guarded, buzzard, by the 3rd Infantry? It is the oldest military infantry that is serving actively in our nation today. They were founded in eight. Or excuse me, 1784 is when they started. 1784. And they are on call 24 hours a day. As a matter of fact, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, if you're going to guard that, you have a 24-hour on duty, and then a 24-hour off duty, then a 24-hour on duty. And it's so rigorous that most of the men that are able to do it can only last about 18 months. And then they transfer and go somewhere else. But for 18 months, they demonstrate an amazing faithfulness that is one to be looked at and looked upon and say, wow, that is dedication. In order to be a guard and guard the tomb of the unknown soldier, 
You have to live in those barracks that are underneath there while you're on duty. Now, you can live off base when you're off duty, but when you're on duty, you've got to stay on the campus. So for 24 hours every other day, they have to live right there at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. They also, in order to qualify to be a guard at the Unknown Soldier, they have to memorize seven pages of Arlington National Cemetery history and repeat it back to their uh, superior verbatim. They cannot miss a word. They've got to dedicate themselves to protecting the tomb of the unknown soldier. If you've ever seen the changing of the guard, you'll notice that it's very meticulous. It all revolves around the number 21. They take 21 steps across, if you would, guarding the soldier with their gun facing the opposite direction of whatever side the tomb is on. They turn and they face east for 21 seconds, all the while in that facing in dead silence. Then they turn again and they march another 21 steps, and then they stop and they turn to the east again, and they wait for 21 seconds, all the while numbering, going over the number of 21 over and over and over and over again. Over the course of a year, they change guards most of the time every hour. But during the season of the spring and summer, because of the heat and what they have to wear, they'll change every 30 minutes. It's an amazing feat. They say, according to history, that it takes them eight hours just to get their uniform right so that they can walk 30 minutes during the summer and then go back and take it off and do it all over again. There's an amazing amount of dedication and commitment and faithfulness to be a part of the 3rd Infantry and guard the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. But that's not all they guard. They also guard many other areas within Washington. It's a fascinating unit that it's an operation that's been in operation again since 1784. And we can learn a great deal from them in the area of faithfulness. Can you imagine if we were that faithful to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? That's what I want to challenge you today with. I want to challenge you with the fact that let us, as born-again children of God, be as faithful to the Lord, if not more faithful, than the 3rd Infantry is to the United States. You see, brothers and sisters, we're in the Lord's army. Amen? And if we're in the Lord's army, greater is He that's in us than he that's in the world. And if He that is in us is great, then there's no cultural thing that could happen in our United States of America or around the world that, number one, God doesn't know about, and number two, God can't get you through it. So if you're a born-again child of God and maybe you're struggling with some things, I've got good news for you. If you'll stay faithful to the Lord, the Lord will always stay faithful to you. Now, if you found your place today, I want you to notice what happened here in the text. We've made it to the point where Jesus Christ has kept his promise, Eric, and the Holy Spirit came. Now, remember, there were seven to ten days of just sheer monotony. They were wondering, what in the world is he ever going to keep his promise? How long are we going to have to wait before the promise is finally fulfilled? Well, on the day of Pentecost, it happened. And the Holy Spirit came in like a mighty rushing wind. And I'm telling you what, it changed that place to such a capacity that Peter stood up to preach. And when he preached and gave the invitation... 3,000 people gave their heart and life to Jesus Christ. Now, they not only were saved, but they were also baptized. And then the Bible tells us in the text the areas of their faithfulness. 
Look at what the scripture says. If you found your place in Acts chapter 2, cast your eye to verse number 42. And when you found that place, if you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Notice what the scripture says about the faithfulness of the first church. The Bible says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and all had all things in common. And sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Do you know that there's people need to be saved every single day? I don't think God has changed that. I think there's still people that need to be saved every single day. The question is, will we walk after faithfulness and see them saved? May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. When you look at this text, you see very naturally it falls into two categories. There are two primary points that you see in these verses. The first point that I want you to notice is I want you to notice the focus of faithfulness. The focus of faithfulness. This church, the first church, was focused on four very important things. These things that the first church was focused on should be the same things that you and I are focused on here at Maysville Baptist Church. Do you believe that? Say amen right there. I mean, because if the Bible says these are the areas that you need to focus on, then I believe that today's church also ought to be focusing on those four areas. So let me show them to you very quickly. So if you have your pen, your pencil, your lipstick, or mascara, get ready to write in the Word of God, or you can use uh, your uh, bulletin today. There's a place on the back to take notes. I hope it will be an encouragement to you. And here's my prayer. Like Peter, I preach for transformation. I want us to leave here more encouraged than when we came in. I, I want us to leave differently than when we came in. Changed, more walking with a sh more sure word, Walking with a more love for the Word of God. I promise you, if you're our guest today, what I've got to say, it nearly as important as what the Word of God says today. So I'm just here to show you something in the Word of God, what the Word says, and how we can apply the Word in our heart. We, again, are living in such a day today where we want to have our own religion and do things our way. Brothers and sisters, it does us no good to do, what, do it our way. We ought to do it God's way. And if we do it God's way, I promise the blessings will be in return greater than we can ever imagine. Number one, the first thing in a focus of faithfulness is I want you to see how they were focused on being taught by their spiritual leader. Being taught by their spiritual leader. Look at what our leaders, look at what the Bible says in verse number 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' Doctrine. I want you to stop right there. There are two things I want you to notice here. Number one, the first thing I want you to notice is I want you to see in the text that term continued steadfastly. I have it underlined in my Bible. And the reason why is because it has a very pointed definition. It means to be devoted or dedicated to something on a regular basis. He's speaking of the daily dedication that the first century church, these 3,000 people, 
They committed themselves daily. They devoted themselves regularly to the teachings of their spiritual leader. Now look at what the Bible says. The Bible says that they did this in the apostles' doctrine. You see it there? The word doctrine in this text does not mean the subject. It's not talking about the subject of doctrine. It's talking about the act of doctrine. The act of teaching. Not the subject of teaching. So he's not standing up there and the apostles aren't, aren't dishing out apologetics. They're not dishing out eschatology. They're not dishing out ecclesiology. They are simply communicating with the church what Jesus wants them to do next. Remember, the word of God has not been fully completed yet. And as God is speaking to the apostles, and as they are writing down these things that God is doing, we find God supernaturally is speaking into the apostles' lives, and the apostles are communicating the truths, the teachings of God. Today, you and I have the completed word of God. The Bible tells us in Peter, we have a more sure word of prophecy. What he's talking about there is simply this. Now, Peter wrote it. He says that we can depend more upon this than we can anything else. And by the way, in regards to the apostles, there was a specific thing that the apostles had to do. They had to be there with Jesus at his death. They had to be at his crucifixion and his burial. And they had to see the resurrected Christ with their own eyes. Brothers and sisters, the apostleship that existed in the first century church ended at their death. But we are all disciples. And the Bible is clear that he has given some pastors and teachers and shepherds and bishops and those individuals that stand before us in spiritual leadership and communicate, thus saith the Lord. And in response to that, it is my responsibility as your spiritual leader here, as a senior pastor, to say, look, here's what the Bible says. Here's what the scripture means. And here's how it applies to us today. By way of this passage of scripture, we notice that they submitted themselves, continued steadfastly, that daily devotion in the apostles' doctrine. Their spiritual leaders were giving them biblical truth, and they sat up under that truth. Brothers and sisters, as born-again children of God, we ought to be a part of a local body of believers. And we ought to be a part of a body of local believers that believe the Word of God, and that preach the Word of God, and that are boldly preaching the Word of God, unashamedly. And when the Bible speaks about something against it, Bless God, we ought to speak against it. And when the Bible speaks in favor of something, bless God, we ought to be in favor of it. And I am in favor of what the Scripture says here that says these individuals focus their faithfulness on being taught by their spiritual leaders. Brothers and sisters, we ought to be taught by the spiritual leaders that God's given us here at this church. That is, your pastor, your staff, your Sunday school teachers. We should submit ourselves to the teaching of the Word of God through them. It wearies me. Here's what I'm weary. I'm wearied that there are even some here at Maysville. Now listen, I'm not trying to be ugly or mean, but there are some who feel like they're doing their ecclesiastical duty by working all the time and never submitting themselves to the preaching of the pastor. That's a problem. And we've got all different avenues, all different avenues for you to be under the preaching of the Word. 
Well, man, we got this thing on the internet. We got it on Facebook. We got it on podcast. You can listen to us on the radio. But you need to be under the teaching of the pastor. How do you know his heart if you're not under his teaching? How do you know the direction the church is going in if you're not under his teaching? How do you know the direction that we're going in collectively as a church if you're not under the preaching and teaching of the pastor as he delivers the word of God? Their focus of faithfulness, number one, first was being taught by their spiritual leaders. Number two, I've got to hurry. Here's the second one. Being in partnership with one another. Did you see the text? Look at what the Bible says. He says, not only did they continue daily, or this daily dedication in the apostles' doctrine, but number two, it was also in fellowship. This is a Greek word. It's called koiana. Uh, a lot of times we think about fellowship, we think about uh, this definition, two fellas in one ship. And that's a lot of fun, and it's good to think that way. But it goes on past that. It goes past just being in the same ship with somebody else. It goes past uh, just being together in church. What he's talking about here in the text is a cooperation. He's saying that we cooperate together. All of us here today, we have our Bibles, and we're open, and we're taking notes, and we're studying, and we're looking at the Word of God. We're cooperating together, making sure that what the pastor says is coming right out of the book. That's what we ought to be doing. But we ought to not just be checking the pastor to make sure he's coming right out of the book. We ought to be saying, I want to apply this to my heart and exercise this in my walk. And so in exercising this in my walk, when we think about this cooperation, how do we cooperate together? We cooperate together in our witness. We're going to leave here in just a few minutes. Some of you are going to go to the Cracker Barrel. Can I get a witness? Others are going to go to the Mexican restaurant to God be the glory. And we are. And we're going to leave this place, Wayne, and we're going to be witnesses for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And people are going to ask, they're going to say, man, what church have you been at? Because you're different. Now, I'm just going to be honest. There's some people, they'll go to some of these places and, man, it'll look like they lost their best friend. Won't tip the waitress or... I just had a bunch of bad things just run through my mind about tipping. I'm, I'm, David, I'm, I'm culling. I'm culling. Hang in there with me just a minute. The bottom line is just simply this. We ought to be a witness. And that's how we cooperate together. We cooperate together as a witness of Jesus Christ. There's this fellowship that they had. Notice, here's the next one. Very quick. I've got to hurry. Being obedient to the Lord's ordinance. You see what they did next? The Bible says that they continued in the breaking of bread. You notice that? See it in the text? Now, uh, this is important. When you read this in the Greek, each of these, all four of these, is followed by a definite article. In the English, the definite article is the, T-H-E. In the Greek, it's a fascinating word, uh, but it it is a definite article. But it is translated for you and I as the. Okay? So, He's talking about a specific form of breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. That's important because he's going to use this term again in the text. And it doesn't mean this kind of breaking of bread. The kind of breaking of bread that he's referring to is the Lord's Supper. It's a specific breaking of bread. And so here in the text, the Bible says that the focus of their faithfulness was that they were obedient to the Lord's ordinances. Now, let me ask a question. Let's take a little test. How many ordinances did the Lord give us? Two. He gets right. He gave us two ordinances. 
The first ordinance that he gave us was baptism. The Bible says, Jesus said, those that were saved were gladly baptized. We ought to be baptized. Even Jesus was baptized. That's an ordinance that he gave, okay? And then the second ordinance that he gave was the Lord's Supper. We find that uh, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where he says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Both of the ordinances that we practice as born-again children of God, they're pictures, they're... um, They're remembrance services of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so when he says that they focus their faithfulness on submitting themselves to the spiritual leaders, being taught by the spiritual leaders, being in partnership together for the gospel's sake, and also being obedient to the Lord's ordinance, remember they have already been baptized. When they got saved, they got baptized. The scripture says 3,000 people got baptized. And then he says... They broke bread together, the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper. They participate in that. Now, it's very important that when you participate in the Lord's Supper, you do it right. We're living in a day today where people partake of the Lord's Supper in a uh, strange fashion, a religious fashion. It's called transubstantiation. There are some that hold to the fact that they can pray Jesus Christ out of heaven and pray his body into the Eucharist, the wafer, the cracker, the unleavened bread, whatever you want to call it. And that cracker comes the literal body of Jesus Christ. Literally. He's literally that cracker. So if you were to take that cracker, put it in your pocket, and walk out, you'd be, you'd be kidnapping. Now, you think I'm kidding, but it's happened. It's happened. I can't make it up. It's happened. So you ingest the physical body of Jesus Christ. Same thing with the blood. They believe they can pray the blood out of heaven. And that, through some supernatural miracle, that juice becomes the blood of Jesus. And you drink the blood. It's called transubstantiation. It's not right. It's not biblical. And the reason why is because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. He says, remember my body, how I died on the cross for you. Remember my blood, how it was shed for you. Only one thing can save your wretched soul, and that is Jesus Christ. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But mankind takes that and says, no, you got to do something. And so they put forth this transubstantiation. That's not what they participated in here. As a matter of fact, they participated in what's called the love feast. Uh, it was a big, they had to be Baptists because everybody brought a potluck. I mean, they all would bring this food. And there was more uh, green bean casserole than there was anything else. And they would eat together. And then after they ate, they would partake of the Lord's Supper. It was called a love feast. And then they would have communion on the back of that. We don't do that today. You ever wonder the reason why we don't do that today? The reason why we don't do that anymore is 1 Corinthians. Hey. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see they took advantage of that. And they took advantage of it to the point where they started getting drunk in church. Bless God, that'll that'll be a blessing to you, won't it? Good night. No way. And so Paul had to rebuke them. He says, I cannot praise you when it comes to the ordinance of the church. You guys have made a mockery of it. He says, you're coming in drunk. You're eating before anybody else gets an opportunity. You're even eating the communion meal. Shame on you. This is why some of you are sick and dying, because you do not respect the ordinance of the church. And so in regards to the ordinance, you see that the focus of faithfulness that you and I need to have 
is that we need to be obedient to the Lord's ordinance. When we have the Lord's Supper, we ought to participate in it as born-again children of God. When, when we have baptism, listen, if you've never been baptized, like Brother James and Sister Katie here, I want to strongly encourage you to be baptized. I, I can't help. It was 2016. Right back on this section right here. Right. I'm looking at you right now in the gray. Uh, Miss Claudia in 2016, she got baptized. Lived her whole life as a born-again child of God after she got saved, but had never been baptized. And climbed up there in 2016, climbed the mountain of the baptismal pool and God in the water was buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. I got to thinking about this, David. You know, sometimes the reason why people don't get baptized is because they're embarrassed. A lot of times they're embarrassed. And, and, and we fail to remember, this is a safe place. This is a safe place for you, brother. This is a safe place for you, sister. Just because you've let years get on your life and you've never obeyed the Lord... Don't let another day go not obeying Him. Because all those years that you've lived in disobedience have only calloused your heart. And you've become really not sensitive to what the Spirit is saying to you. And the only way to break up that fallow ground is to surrender. Is to do like Claudia did and surrender. To do like, uh, like James and Katie did, surrender. To do like these others that have done today, just surrender and say, I need to do this the biblical way. If you're saved, you get saved first, and then you are baptized. He talks about here they obeyed the ordinance of the Lord. And then number four. Okay, I'm, i, I got to go on. Here's the fourth one. You ready for this? Being committed to prayer. Now, notice the word prayer is plural. There's an S on it. So it's prayers. Prayers. Uh, some scholars say, well, these were some specific prayers that they prayed in the church for, for uh, different things or different elements. Very well could be so. But you, you know as well as I do, when we come to the Lord, we always approach the Lord with different types of prayer. As a matter of fact, I got saved when I was 14. By the time I was 15, I found myself in a Bible study being taught about prayer. And I learned prayer in prayer being, being six, six types of prayer. Now, there are more, and we can classify more, but I was taught six when, when I pray. Let me show them to you if I could. Number one, the first one is praise, the prayer of praise, where you praise God. Man, we've got some things to praise God for, don't we? Praise God for his safety. Praise God for Jesus. Praise God for Maysville. I praise God for you. Look at this 930 crowd. Praise God. We've got something to praise God for. But not only praise, there's a second element, and that's thanksgiving. We pray prayers of thanksgiving. Who, who in here's got something to be thankful for? I hear you, sister. You, I mean, you preach it, I'll turn the pages. We, man, we've got some things to be thankful for. You realize last year at this time, God, God had not given us a building for the wild game yet. And we, we, we got a backup. We always got a backup. It took us 13 years to use the backup last time, but last year we had to use it uh, over at the Commerce. That's why we were in Commerce, because the Lord did not provide a building. You understand, we, we don't rent that building. We don't make any money off of this at all. We don't even put this in the budget. I mean, we, we're really dependent like the children of Israel. We say, God, you've got to provide. If you don't provide, then... We're limited. We can't do it. We, and we want to do big things for God. 
Amen. So we can thank God today for his provision. He has provided a building for the wild game. I've got to hurry. I've got so much to be thankful for. That's the second one. Here's the third one. The third prayer, confession. 1 John chapter 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The prayer of confession. When we pray, we confess our sins. Uh, number four. Let me give you a fourth one. Here's one. Intercession. The prayer of intercession. Intercession means you stand on behalf of somebody else. Uh, there are some of you here today, and you know who you are. I am standing on your behalf. You've sent me emails. You've asked me to pray for you. You've asked me to pray specific for some specific things in your life. I'm interceding for you. I'm praying that God would mend your marriage. I'm praying God would heal your health. I'm praying God would do something in that son or your daughter's life. I'm praying for you. I'm interceding on your behalf. But then there's petition. The prayer of petition. You know what the prayer of petition is? That's my personal request. That's me saying, God, here's what I need. I need blank. And I pour my heart out to God in those, along those realms. So there's praise, thanksgiving, confession, intercession, petition, and then here's the sixth one. Here's one we always get tripped up on. Listening. Listening. I'm just telling you what I was taught. A prayer of listening. So how do you do a prayer of listening? You shut your mouth and quit asking. <laughs> we're so busy. I mean, really, we're so busy today, aren't we? That if we stop just for five or ten seconds, we get uncomfortable. Let's try it, okay? Ten seconds. Here we go. Go. Isn't that uncomfortable? It's just uncomfortable. But remember, I don't leave without this. Remember how the Lord speaks? In a still, small voice. And I want to be honest with you. When you stop and exercise the prayer listening, we finally can hear God's answer to our request. A lot of times we say, I don't know what God's saying. Could it be, brother, could it be, sister, because you're too busy? You're too loud. You're too loud. You've you got to get along with God and be quiet. And, and for some of you, that means you've got to turn the TV off. For others, that means you've got to turn the radio off. For others, it means you've got to turn the, yeah, that's what I was trying to think of, that cell phone. You've got to turn the cell phone off. For some of you, you got to turn all three of those things off. you, you got to turn it off. There's a reason why he said, the Lord says that we need to get in a prayer closet. Get alone. Be quiet in that war room. And we don't know what the will of God is. It's because we're not willing to stop and be quiet long enough to hear the will of God. So we find that here was the focus of the first church's faithfulness. If we're going to live with biblical clarity, these are the four things we need to be focused on. We need to focus on being faithful and being taught. That means, for in this case, this is, this is the subject matter. You need to be in this room listening to the pastor preach the word of God. Number two, we ought to be in partnership with one another. We ought to be moving forward with our purpose statement. Loving God, loving others, serving the world. We're not just the church in these four, in these four walls. We're the church mobile when we leave this place. We're the church mobile. We're going out of the mission field here in just a few moments. And we're going to share. And who are we going to share? Jesus. We ought to be obedient to the Lord's ordinance. 
Uh, some, some get right with God, and, and they, they're baptized now. Now they're, they said, thank God, now I got that. I finally got this weight off of me. You want to get this weight off of you? Surrender. And then number four, being committed to prayer. Praying. Praying together. We're going to pray tonight for a wild game dinner. I hope you'll be back this evening. I'll be preaching. Please come tonight, 6 o'clock. We're committing ourselves to prayer. Now, he shifts gears. He moves from the focus of faithfulness to the fruit of faithfulness. So here's the direction it goes in. So because the church was faithful in these four areas, there's this natural fruit that was produced around them. What was this fruit that was produced around them? Look at the Bible. Here's what this is. Number one, the first one is reverence. You see it there? The Bible says a great fear, fear came upon every soul. The word fear is where we get our English word awe or awesome. There was this awestruck about them that happened in the church. They could not believe what God was doing. 3,000 people got saved and were baptized and partaking of the Lord's Supper. And they were remembering what Jesus did. And they're awestruck at the fact that John 3.16 is true. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. They lived it. They ticked off the box that said the prophecy is fulfilled. And we're in awe at Jesus. Number two. Not only do we see reverence but we also see miracles happen in the church. Look at what the Bible says. Notice it says, And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Now this is the, the term wonders and signs occur all throughout the book of Acts. Remember what they are. Wonders are those events that happen that people stop and go, Huh. Wow. And signs are the credentials that are tied to that work that point to none other but Jesus. We have an illustration here in chapter 3 verses 1 through 10. He gives us the signs and wonders that were happening. Look at what the scripture says. Now watch this before I say. Every sign and wonder is going to point to Jesus Christ. I want you to notice when we get to him, notice what's capitalized in the text, highlighting what this miracle is about. Look at what the scripture says. Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple about the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, and a certain man that was lame from his mother's womb. So he's born. He was born lame. He, this guy's never walked. Never, never took his first steps. And he's being carried, if you would, uh, to the gate, and he's being laid there daily, verse number two, asking, which is called beautiful, asking alms. He's begging for money at the temple. Uh, Whom seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple is asking them for alms. And Peter, looking or fastening his eyes upon John, well, fasting his eyes upon this lame man with John, said to the lame man, Look on us. And he gave heed to them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of, here it is, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, and he lifted him up, And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength, and he leaping and stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, 
And they were filled with wonder, there it is, and amazement, there's this sign, that would, uh, that which happened unto him. Here's an illustration of a sign and wonder. Here's the question. Who did it point to? Every time God does a miracle, it points to Jesus. Man, there's some of you that have received miracles in here. I mean, your health was fleeting, and you were touched, and the doctors cannot explain it. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Jesus happened. And let me just say this. The greatest miracle, because i got to hurry, the greatest miracle that God does is take an old nasty sinner and get him out of that muck and forgive him and set his feet on solid ground. That's the greatest miracle that Jesus does. i still got a couple more hanging there with me. Number three, outreach. Here's the third one, outreach. Look at verse 44 through 46. Some have called verses 44 through 46 the biblical explanation or the biblical version of communism. Can I say this? The Bible never, ever endorsed communism. And it never endorsed socialism either for that matter. You know what this is? This is a beautiful picture of outreach. Look at what the scripture says. Verse 44. And all that believed were together. That is, they, they had church. And had all things in common. What's the major thing they had in common that brought everybody together? Jesus. They had Jesus. And the Bible says, sold their possessions and goods and parted unto them. Watch this. Here it is. As every man had need. You see what's happening here? This is voluntary. Not mandatory. Somebody in the church looked up and says, Oh, man, you know what I heard about... Uh, Mr. and Ms. Smith, Mr. Smith died, and Miss Smith is left with this huge debt. Uh, I got a piece of property I'm not using. I'm going to sell this piece of property. I'm going to pay her house off, and I'm going to make sure that she's settled in her home. That's what it's talking about. It's a voluntary need that they see, and they jump on board, and they meet that need. It just happened, and they're not in this service, so I can talk about them. So we had a guy right here in this service. usually comes to this service. Saw a need in Maysville. And he's trying to reach this gentleman for Jesus Christ. He noticed that his yard was just, I mean, just really had a struggle. The man, had, he, he had a hard time getting his yard cleaned up. So this church member assembled a team together, went over to his house, cleaned up his yard, loved on the man, and the man listened to the gospel. Now, he hadn't received Christ yet, but he's got this gentleman, this church member has an open door to come. Now, what did it cost the man to help this other gentleman. Time, energy, money, it cost him some things. And how did he do that? Did he come over to the church and sit down with the preacher and say, Preacher, this guy over here needs some help. Can you rent me a dump truck and get over and do it? No. He worked. He made an income. He did not take from his tithes and offerings. He said, I'm going to invest in this situation. And he went over and he spent his own money to help clean up the mess. And because of that buzzard, now he has an open invitation to sit at any time and speak truth to this gentleman. We find here in the text, outreach happens when you're faithful in those four areas. Look at what the scripture says. And they continue daily with one accord in the temple. They continue to speak together. This is outreach. Number four. Let me show you. I've got to hurry. I'm running out of time. Joy. Joy. What is another fruit of faithfulness? Joy. Did you see what the text says? Look at what the Bible says. In breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, 
praising God. Now, this is the second time he's used the word breaking of bread. This is, there's not a definite article here, though. So he's referring to going over to somebody's house and eating. Can I get a witness? I mean, that is a great plan. I think that is a beautiful plan. It's a great opportunity. And so they're going from house to house, and they're enjoying fellowship in their Sunday school classes, in their life groups, in their small group settings, in their Bible studies. It's not just an educational thing. They're doing life together. And, and by the way, in doing life together, it should be joyful. Can, can I just say this? I find a great joy in coming to church on Sunday morning. Now, is, is there ever a time where, where you don't feel joyful? Well, sure. Sure there is. Sure, there are times when the weather's nasty and you think, man, this sure would be a good day to sleep in. But then I begin to think about what Jesus did for you and I. Now, I can't stay in bed. No, I, I want to get up. Not to mention I'm the preacher. I need to preach. It's a joy. You glad you came today? Say amen. Hey, I'm glad you're here. Here's number five. I'm almost done. Notice there's more fruits. There's more fruits. Why? Because the bearing of fruit is always greater than the seed that's planted. So they planted four seeds. And it yields up six fruits. Here's the fifth one attractiveness. Notice what the Bible says in verse 47. In the latter part of verse 47, in the middle, and having favor with all people. You see that there? That word favor there is grace. Anytime, watch this, anytime you extend grace to someone, it becomes attractive. You want to know why this church is so attractive to others? It's because you're grace-filled. These that surrendered for baptism came forward at an invitation. Do you know it's harder and harder for get, to get people to walk the aisle today? Harder and harder. Why? Because calloused hearts. And the reason why hearts are calloused, bless God, you ever went to some of these churches out here? Man, I went to a bunch of them when I was on sabbatical. Cold. I thought, man, I more excitement at the funeral home. At least they've got mints when I leave them. That's bad. I don't know what to be when you come to church. You ought to enjoy yourself. You ought to have a good time. You ought to be able to laugh. You ought to be able to have fun. You ought to be able to say, yes, I reverence God. He's holy. He's righteous. And this is the more, listen, I've had more fun on accident as a born-again child of God than this world's had on purpose. I just, I can't help it. They asked me, they said, you get in trouble this, this week, Pastor? I said, well, it was another week, wasn't it? And they said, yes, but I had a good time doing it. Well, be honest with you. When you stand up for biblical truth, you'll get in trouble sometimes. Why? Because the Bible says we are operating against culture. And when culture redefines marriage, or when culture redefines gender, or when culture redefines what the Word of God has said very clearly, then we're going to make some people mad. I don't mean to. Just let the Bible speak. But here's how you are attractive. You offer grace. But grace. So who's welcome at Maysville? Everybody. Everybody. But just know that the truth's going to be preached. We extend grace. But thus saith the Lord. And then here's the, the sixth one. The, the sixth one we have here is growth. Notice what the Bible says. Let me find it here. Uh, he says, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. 
Thank you. I believe that people need to get saved every day. Yes. And the way that people get saved every day is not me telling every day, but me and you telling every day. Hey. Us telling every day. We, listen, we want to see people get saved in our worship services. We want to see people get saved in here. Guess what we got to do? We got to bring lost people. Hey. So well, I thought that was your job, preacher. No. My job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So I lead by example by going and inviting and bringing people in. But that doesn't negate your responsibility either. Growing up, we used to have this, uh, one of my best friends, he was pastor of a church. And his church was Antioch Baptist Church. And they did these big signs that says, I love my ABCs. I love my Antioch Baptist Church. And man, the, the, the church rallied around that. I mean, that was, I can remember that was one of the high points of his ministry. They rallied around that because they were demonstrating the love that they had for their church. Brothers and sisters, we ought not to have a sign tell us how much we love our church. Hey. We ought to have hearts that demonstrate the love we have for the church. And if we say that we love Maysville Baptist Church, then we need to love Jesus more. And in loving Jesus more, your church, again, becomes grace-filled. You become attractive. And in that attractiveness, people will come, and they'll want what you have. Can I ask you this question? Do people want what you have? Do they want what you have? Let me ask you this. Have you ever been born again? Have you followed the ordinances that Jesus has given us? See, before you can be baptized and before you can partake of the Lord's Supper, you've got to first come to Jesus. Hey. Have you ever done that? This is called living with biblical clarity. And in order to be a faithful believer, you first got to be a believer. Hey. So I wonder this morning, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and my time is up, I'm four minutes off. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Maybe you don't know where you'd spend an eternity. Where you're sitting right now, would you do this, dear friend? Listen, maybe you're listening by way of radio. Maybe you're watching by way of internet. Maybe you're right here in this worship service this morning. And maybe the Lord has spoken to your heart. And you do not want to go to hell when you die. But the fact is, you have never, ever trusted Christ as Savior. I'm appealing to you on the basis of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Will you trust Jesus today? So how do I do that, preacher? From your heart to God's heart, would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And I ask you this morning to save me. Thank you for saving me. I will live for you. In Jesus' name.